Hello, everyone. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Today we have、um, therapist Michelle with us. She is a specialist and really good at working with parents and children. Welcome, Michelle. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Yishan, for having me today. I'm so excited to be talking about parenting and, you know, specifically childhood sleep-related problems today with you. Yeah, this is such important topic, you know. And so, first, Michelle, I want to ask for your professional opinion. How、yeah. often do you see children's toddlers or you know teenagers they are going through some sleep challenges? You know, so the stat, according to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, is in regards to infants, about twenty-five to thirty percent of them experience some kind of sleep disturbance. And forty percent of children experience sleep problems in early childhood, and then that number gets even higher if you have a child、uh, that it has potentially autism spectrum、um, or ADHD. So neurodivergent child can jump up anywhere between twenty-five and eighty percent. Wow, that's a really high number. Really high number. Uh huh. A lot of time clinically, we say if a child does not sleep well. It's become a whole family's problem. <laughs> uh, correct, correct. In fact, I met with a mom yesterday. She's got a two-year-old, and this two-year-old two-year-old was given a provisional diagnosis of ASD. And with that provisional diagnosis, you know, she's she's experiencing a lot of sleep problems. Like she explained, great sleeper up until ten months. Um, and then there was, you know, some regression, and then in the last three months, it's just been constant, and it's impacting her mental health. And her husband is lovely and supportive, but he has a job where that requires him to get up at two thirty in the morning, and he's gone most of the morning. So she is on her own. Not to mention, she's getting up in the morning to go back to work and getting up every single hour. This kind of sleep disruption, as you know. Is extremely detrimental to our mental health and to our physical health. Yeah, definitely. And also, you are mentioning a two-year-old. I think a lot of people's idea about children's sleep still stop at、um, sleep train, right? And how to make babies sleep by themselves. But then recently, I also met with some parents. Uh, asking me about well, the, the, as the child gets older, like three year old or even older, they start moving around. You put them there, they can crap out and go for parents, right? Then when they have sleep problems, the parents just <laughs> cannot have a peaceful night anymore. Right, right. You know, there's so much variability in terms of like what's happening internally with sleep, but then you have that extra component, which is the behavioral component, right? Like what's happening in the environment that's maybe contributing to these sleep difficulties. So a lot of the things I'm going to talk about today are really behavioral based and not maybe what's going on medically or internally because those are those are separate that should be addressed you know with a medical professional. Yeah, definitely. So、um, I think a lot of parents really want to know what to do exactly, and I、right. guess for、uh, parents with children on the spectrum 
uh, or with ADHD versus children does not have uh, autism or ADHD possibly are different, right? Yeah, you know, there's there's some differences, but at the at the end of the day, it's really, you know, what are we can't control our behaviors. Like we can't control our child's behavior, but what we can do as parents is control the environment that they live in and set to set them up for sleep success. And so a lot of the work that I do is looking at each individual unique need to the to the parent and to the family. Um, and saying, okay, these are the things that we can modify and adjust. But really the difference between neurotypical and neurodiverse is just, I I think the biggest thing is the self-regulation piece, right? Mm -hmm. Like their brains are just learn a little bit differently. And so you have to provide teaching opportunities that maybe look a little bit different or you or you have to be more consistent in your behavioral approaches. And so really um, the only difference is maybe they need a little bit more comforting and a little bit more self-soothing support from their primary caregiver, which I know can be exhausting. And so a lot of it is not just talking about the behavioral approach for the child, Mm -hmm. but what is the primary caregiver that's responsible, that's getting up consistently, try to get their toddler back to sleep or young child, what are they doing for themselves to get some respite so that they're getting at minimum a good four hour stretch? Right. It sounds like parents need to take care of themselves first. So they have right. energy to right. deal with and help the child to train, to understand, to learn how to soothe themselves and eventually sleep better. Right. Yeah. Great. So let's talk about what are some things parents can do. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so excluding any kind of medical condition that's potentially going on, you know, some of the common sleep related problems that parents face, um, is that flat out refusal to go to, to even stay in bed or go to bed, or even maybe even get the process started because they know what's coming. Um, or maybe they've got a lot of distractions in their bed or in their bedroom that's potentially keeping them awake longer. Um, Another variable is uh, frequent waking up in the middle of the night. That is definitely very challenging. Early wakings and then bedwetting. So those are the common ones that are listed. Um, And really your approach as a parent is really going to be determined and based on what the exact problem is. So it's kind of hard to say, depending on like if I I had, I need to know all the variables to that unique Mm. family. Um, but there are evidence-based behavioral approaches that I commonly recommend. So one of the first things that you can ask or think about is, is sleep important, right? Meaning, Mm -hmm. yes, we know it's important, but think about for, for that young child who might be potentially dropping their naps and wanting to sleep a little bit longer, nighttime sleep, expand their nighttime sleep, right? Like Uh nighttime sleep is always the priority, right? But for that young child who, like, let's say my three-year-old, for example, Mm -hmm. when he goes to school, he'll nap. He still needs it at three years old, but he's also likely trying to fade that out because what's happening is he's getting so much sleep during the day that he's not going to bed till 9 p.m. And that's too late. That's too late for him and for our family. And so what you need to do is try to shorten those naps during the day to make sleep more important for the child 
mm-hmm. um, and getting that child to sleep earlier because really I'm trying to get that. I want to ideally I want to capture that 7:38 p.m. bedtime, but he's staying up till nine, which is a signal saying he's not ready to sleep because he's getting too much sleep during the day. And that's where a mm-hmm. lot of the, this kind of power struggle happens at night is mm-hmm. because they're just more tired. So you need to right. make sleep motivating, and the way you do that is to start to reduce the amount of sleep they're getting during the day. Right, that remind me one sleep doctor. Um, the the book I have translated into Chinese. He also mentioned some children tend to fall asleep on the car, right? And the parents sometimes just let them, and then cause a lot of other sleep problems later in the day, especially at night. Right. Right. You know, and part of me as a parent is like, look, you need to be flexible. Like priorities are always changing. Mm-hmm. And for for me in my house, sleep is a huge priority, especially mm-hmm. early in their childhood. I We lived a life and our schedule was really dictated by their sleep and nap uh, times. And that was the good decision for me. That may not be the best decision for every family, um, but that's what I needed for my sanity. And so with that said, yes, my son, three years old, fights me so hard at nap time when he's at home on the weekend. Mm. But sure enough, if we're in the car between noon and three o'clock, anytime during that window, it is likely he will fall asleep. Mm. And so I modify my behavior, my environment so that I avoid scheduling activities where he's going to be in the car at that time. Now, if we're close to home and... I can kind of keep them awake, like by rolling the windows down and getting some Mm -hmm. fresh air, then I'll do that. But if I know he's going to fall asleep early early on in the car ride, I try to avoid them. And that's what works for me because it's really important that he get that full, solid nighttime sleep. I see. Ah, sounds like really need to be creative and flexible at the same time. Right. So going back to this idea of like, what are the things that I as a parent have control over in my child's environment to set him up for sleep success? Right, right. Love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So moving from that is the other the other piece is that the signals of sleep are not there. And what that means is that This is why everybody talks about schedules being really important, like a nighttime routine for our young children, because everything that they do is a signal for the next step. So let's take this as an example. Like our nighttime routine is usually dinner, some downtime, game time, and then after game time, we're transitioning to the bathroom. Okay. And then the bathroom is really the first sign. Like we start to dim all the lights. So that's a cue and signal for sleep. Then we go to the bathroom, we brush our teeth. And then that the next step is jammies. And the next step after that is stories. And then they're in their bed, right? And then we're turning off the lights. We're turning on the sound machine. We're make sure that the room is dark. All of those things are cues for the brain to say it's time to wind down. And as long as we're consistent in all those cues, and that's also true in adulthood, right? Um, We want to make sure that those sleepy cues are really strong in our environment so that our body and brain say, okay, it's time to wind down. Mm -hmm. And so when those signals are not there or they're inconsistent, that could potentially be an easy, I say easy, but a fix in terms of saying, oh, signals of sleep. Yes. Now this is cueing my body to say it's time to go to sleep. 
Wow. So sounds like for younger children or maybe children、um, in general have a consistent nighttime routine before bedtime, right? Or leading to bedtime. It's so important that can help their brain to prepare them. Oh, when I do this. Mm-hmm. Next, next, gonna be sleep. So they kind of expect that. Correct.、Mm-hmm. You know, I know even in adult sleep, you know, there are certain things. There are certain recommendations. I know that you know that you have that you make consistently with your clients, right? Like,、mm-hmm. let's eliminate the blue light. Make sure, making sure that there's no blue light happening.、Um, for those of us that watch TV or maybe are on our phones in bed, like those、mm-hmm. those real that's a signal to say, oh, I should stay awake a little bit longer, right? And so we want to make sure. If we're setting those healthy foundations for our children, then we're also doing it for ourselves.、Mm. Mm. Yes. So, parents, remember you are modeling a lot of、yep. things for your children, right?、Yep. Especially modeling how to sleep better, how to build a healthy, effective、mm-hmm. sleep habit. Yep. Correct. So the 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 third one here、um, is. Looking at sleep dependencies, so looking at your current situation and saying what here in this environment is creating is preventing my child maybe from falling asleep. Is there a dependency? And so that could be depending on your child's age. That could be like a pacifier. That could be a light. That could be、um, a toy. That could be anything. That is not going to be present and on the entire evening from start to finish. It could be a sleep dependency that will eventually wake you up. So a pacifier is a really easy example because initially when you start sleep, the pacifier is in your mouth. You're probably sucking, <clears throat> you're self-soothing, and you're sleeping. But what happens is the pacifier. Doesn't stay in the child's my, mouth all night. It likely falls out, and then that is not a consistent cue, right? So that、right. that is more likely to initiate a wake up, a full wake up to say, "Where's my pacifier?" Right, grabbing for the pacifier. If they can get it themselves and put it in and get themselves to sleep, great. Best case scenario, but oftentimes that's why it's considered a sleep dependency is because children can't go and find it. And then they wake up, and then they require the the support of their parent or caregiver to get that pacifier back in their mouth. So look at the environment. For an older child, it might be things like、um, toys that they take to bed with them,、um, other than a stuffed animal, right? Or maybe their books that they like to leave in their bed. But that could be a sleep interfering behavior、um, and disruptive to sleep because it's keeping them awake because they're engaging with it.、Mm. Yeah, that reminds me. About、uh, this, how to guide parents whether they should co-sleep or not, and how to help children to self-soothe. Because a lot of time, I hear sleep specialists recommend, you know,、uh, when child they fall asleep, what the environment look like, and then when they wake up in the middle of the night, you you better to keep the environment the same, right? So you, you, like you said, give them something, or parents are there when they fall asleep, and then in the middle of the night, parents are not already not there.、Uh, the thing is falling off or something, and then they're gonna cry. They're gonna want to find parents. If they are older enough, they can definitely run to parents' bedroom <laughs> to wake you up. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah, I know the co-sleeping can sometimes be a hot topic, and really, that's. My answer to that, in general, is if if sleep is not a problem, then co-sleep. You know, that's a family value. That's a 
if that's something that's important to you. I know there are lots of countries outside of the United States that support co-sleeping. Um, so, you know, it's only a problem It's a if it's a problem for the parent, right? Mm -hmm. And then if it's a problem, that might be a variable to consider. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. again, be flexible and really flexible. see, yeah, what, what works for the family, what works for the child. So another big thing that I hear about that that happens is when children are, are around age between two and three, um, that separation anxiety really seems to kick in. That strong desire to want to stay and be with the parent is so strong, right? And that is that is toddlerhood. Toddlerhood yeah. is I want to be with mom, but at the same time, I want to be away or caregiver, any caregiver, mm -hmm. uh, loving, supportive caregiver. But at the same time, I want to explore my environment, right? Mm -hmm. So like I want the best of both worlds, but I don't know how to navigate that. I'm still learning. And so the same thing is happening at bedtime. It's, yes, I'm tired. I know I need to sleep, but it's way more exciting to be with mom and dad. And I have that strong desire to be with them. And that can be really frustrating because mom and dad or parents are tired at night and they just want their kids to go to bed. But then their kid is getting up and coming out of bed constantly. So that can be a challenge uh, for parents and for uh, the child because they just want to be with you. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of struggles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bittersweet job struggles, right? Right. And, and that also make a lot of parents feel bad. They don't want to leave the child, they don't want the child to cry for them, they want to comfort the child, but at the same time, they need their own time, their own sleep. Right, right. So so your behavioral intervention or the approach that you, you want to use really just depends on the type of problem you're having. Mm -hmm. So for the families, you know, that are having a hard time getting their child to fall asleep independently, right? For initially at the beginning of the night and stay asleep without caregiver presence, you know, that's probably the, the number one most common question I get is that particular problem. So we can kind of focus primarily on that one to start. And there's a different approaches you could do. There's, there's something called the bedtime pass. Um, there's also time-based visiting, and then there's quiet-based visiting, and then distance fading. So all four of those that I mentioned are all potential um, intervention, behavioral interventions you can try in the moment. And it really, the one you pick might really just largely depend on what sounds good to you, what's good for you, but also your child's behavior too. So for example, this family that I was visiting or this family that I'm working with um, that I just started with yesterday was using the approach of time-based visiting. So that is the classical, if you've heard of Ferber, he's a medical sleep doctor, um, Ferberize your baby. And that's where you put them down for sleep. You do all the sleepy cues, um, the routine, everything, you put them down and then you leave and you visit based on an interval of time. Okay. Um, it is very effective, but often parents are distressed by that because they have a difficult time hearing their baby, you know, cry or their, their young child cry. Um, they were doing that for months and said it wasn't working. And I said, okay, that's, it's time to try something else. Okay. If that's not working and she is getting so upset that she is fully waking up in the middle of the night, then we need to try something else. And so my recommendation was, 
let's do distance fading gradually. Because what ended up happening is that she was holding the baby, the two-year-old, mm. not baby, toddler. Mm-hmm. She was holding her toddler, rocking her to sleep. And oh. then right as she was falling asleep, she's putting her two-year-old in the crib. And so I said, let's try this. Let's see how she tolerates just laying in the crib, but you're going to be there right next to her, holding her hand or touching somewhere on her body. Could be your hand on her chest. So she knows you're there. Your your presence is there. But what's happening is you're fading away your support, parental support. So instead of holding, you're now, she's down by herself and now your hand is out. And so she knows that you're there. So that also kind of eliminates a little bit of that separation anxiety. And then think about how you can gradually start to fade your presence as she starts to get better and better about falling asleep on her own. Mm-hmm. So we kind of talk specifically through the consultation about what that would look like for her in her unique situation. Yeah, great. So sounds like it's really an intervention tailored to the parents' needs, right? What they have tried, what did not work, what right. more they can do. Like you said, there are so many different interventions out there and it depends on the detailed uh, the, the challenge the child is facing, the parents are facing, which they could choose to try. And also around two or three years old, I think a common problem uh, is the, the children, they will want parents with some excuse. They will say, oh, I'm afraid of dark and, uh, you know, I'm worried about this, I worry about monsters, is that, right? So, um have good reason for the parents to try to comfort them again and again and again. (laughs) And I'm sure that needs extra um, methods to combine together. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up, um, Dr. Yishen. It's, that is a common problem that I hear is that that fear starts to develop, right? They're like, oh, I see a shadow and that looks kind of weird and now I'm scared. Or that maybe they watched something yeah. and that kind of translated um, to like something that they remember. And I think it's really important for parents to provide that comfort, right? They're so little and they're still learning um, about self-regulation, knowing what's real, what's not real. And so providing that comfort Um, And sometimes it takes some creativity. So it may not be necessarily an evidence-based approach, but for example, you know, there are lots of creative ways to address and support your child when there are fears around bedtime. Um, Some of the creative ones that I've seen are like monster spray and all it is is in in a bottle and you put some like lavender oil and water and spray it and that's monster spray, right? It keeps the monsters away and something cute and, and fun like that being creative, just, you know, it helps them and it provides them comfort. You know, if they take a stuffed animal, I know my daughter had that fear. And so I took a stuffed animal that she didn't really spend a lot of time with. I gave it magic powers and I said, those magic powers create this bubble over her. So it's protecting her. Um, and, and, and that for her worked. So sometimes it just takes some creativity, some fun, and some trial and error when we're talking specifically about fears to help support them and work through that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. One reason I really enjoy working with children and the parents, because it's cute. You deliver the intervention in a very um, bright and interesting way, a fun way, right? Mm -hmm. To make it easier for the children to feel like, oh, this is fun. 
the same time it helps me and uh, it's light and easy cute and very effective mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely um it is really it is really effective and i'll give one more suggestion out there too that i thought was really cute um and this could be a fun daytime art activity between parent and child and that is you know those accord like if you um fold up a piece of paper, like an accordion, draw a heart. And so it's like this one big accordion long heart. And you oh. could say that it's, these are connected hearts. This is why we're, we're always connected and you can leave it by their bedside. Um, that's oh. another cute, creative way to address kind of the separation anxiety. Um, oh. Will it work in having them keep them in their bed? Maybe, maybe not. Um, probably is good for a future study, but again, kind of getting creative and cute, um, is, is always a fun, fun little addition. Yeah. That reminds me a lot of time. I think the mistakes, um, parents really are trying is when child bring up, I'm worried about monster or anything. Parents try to use logic to explain and convince the children. Well, let me check underneath your bed. There's no monster. Don't worry. Once yeah. the parents left, <laughs> they got called back again, right? Right. And I, again, I, you know, I think it's important that in those situations, it's, it is important to validate your child's experience because it is very real to them. It may not be, we know as adults, it's not real. And we may be likely to minimize it or brush it off. But for them, it is a real fear and acknowledging that, yes, that does sound scary. And then providing an alternative like the unicorn that has magic powers, right? Or yes. the connected hearts, right? That's where that creativity comes in. But it is important to validate their fear. Yeah, yeah, I really love that. And the connected hearts, I think that's also helpful to help the child know, you know, parents mm -hmm. don't have to be in the room with them all the time. But if when they really need parents is available, just in mm -hmm. another room, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. help them understand, uh, I think, a bigger picture of security. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of these strategies, these behavioral strategies that we mentioned, they can, they work beyond just early childhood. Mm -hmm. um, even for children that are eight, nine, 10, that might be experiencing some actual anxiety. Um, you know, if there's anxiety happening, usually that can impact their nighttime sleep where they don't want to sleep by themselves. Um, they want to stay with you. And, and these behavioral interventions, these approaches, they, they can also work in terms of time-based visits or even the quiet-based visiting. So if you can stay in bed and stay quiet, that warrants a visit and parental attention. So these we do know are effective in keeping your child in their bed and more likely to fall asleep. Yeah, these are great tips. I also, I know you wrote some articles explain a lot of these details and more tips. So I put the link in the chat. So for whoever are watching or listening, and you will be able to find the article uh, Michelle wrote, which is very informative. It's very helpful. And also you can find Michelle's website. I put it on the screen and I will put it in the description box in the future too. It's at michelletenchman.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Yishen, for having me. Yeah, I, yeah, everything we talked about today is in that nice little article there. 
Um, and of course, if you have any questions or you'd like to work with me, please feel free to reach out through my website. Yes. And Michelle, I know she works with parents very well. She helps a lot of parents. So if you have any, you know, parenting uh, challenges and uh, in addition to sleep or just sleep challenges, you want to help yourself, help your, uh, your child sleep better, you can always reach out to Michelle. Thank you very much for coming, Michelle. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. If you like my podcast, please feel free to go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review and rate us. Also, I have two English YouTube channels, one called Deep Into Sleep Podcast. The other one is about mental health in general. It's called Mind Body Garden Psychology. If you like video format, please feel free to subscribe us on YouTube. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Yishan. I will see you next time. Bye. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently, and there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.